Hey, welcome to the Communities Podcast. We hope this message will encourage, challenge, and ultimately grow you in your walk with Jesus. Subscribe for weekly messages and share this message with your community. Let's dig in. Guys, we're talking about spiritual warfare. If you've got your Bible, say Corinthians chapter number 10. I'm not talking about spiritual warfare because I believe the Lord's telling me to talk to you about spiritual warfare. I'm not talking about spiritual warfare because the Lord woke me up with a dream or because, uh, because of any, any, anything spiritual that has been illuminated to me. I'm talking about spiritual warfare because I'm ticked off, I'm mad at the devil, and I thought to get back at the devil, I want to share with some stuff with you. And so when you guys get equipped, I want you to walk out, and I want you to lay the smack down on every devil that you see. You have full permission. I want you to, to make, a, make a noise. I want you to, to, to do something. I want to, make, I want to make the devil's day that he will know. When he, wait, when he dreams about me, he wakes up, he has to apologize. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, I went down this week to do my cousin's memorial service. For those who know, he passed away from cancer. Thank you for those who have been praying with us. And so when we went down, uh, when I went down there, the Lord gave me a word and a message uh, for them. And uh, the Lord pointed out two, two people to me. I don't know who they are, but I knew that they were part of the service. And uh, when, when the Lord pointed them out, I knew it. I had to preach a word for their salvation. I had to preach a word for them to come into the kingdom. And so then I, became, I came under heavy amount of attack. Uh, I went down the Monday afternoon, started getting a little bit of a frog in my throat. And uh, the Tuesday we had the memorial service. Thank you for the guys that were praying for me. You were strengthening me. And I could feel the resistance in the spirit for me to preach what I had to preach. For me to say what I had to say. I could sense how the enemy did not want me to share the word that I was on my heart to share. It wasn't so much to console the family because I had dinner with them the previous night as well and I've shared things with them and it's a journey. You still walk with them. But it was something that I had to share on that day and it was one of those difficult messages that you had to preach at a memorial service and uh, basically allow people to know um, that your days are numbered and the time is short and that's how it is and you've got you've to know where you're going. Everybody dies. It's appointed to all men to die. And the question is for every single person today is where do you go when you die? Because contrary to popular belief, it is not good people that go to heaven. It's righteous people that go to heaven. It's not good people that go to heaven. It's righteous people that go to heaven. It's not your works that will save you. It's only the blood of Jesus that will save you. It's by what God did, not what you did. Can not get an Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. We're going to go there in a minute. And so when I shared the word on Tuesday, so Monday night I slept. Uh, I went to bed at half past three in the morning. The uh, devil decided he wanted to keep me up all night. I woke up before six o'clock on Tuesday morning. We went out. We had the sermon. Praise the Lord. It was difficult. Praise the Lord. But we preached the message that I had, I think, three people in a room after the first 10 minutes going, started to nod their heads going like, amen. And uh, it was difficult. We had like 45 people there. We had about 40 people online. And so it, it, was, it was a difficult word to share. But we shared the word and uh, we got through. And, and I believe something happened in the spirit uh, because I could see the word didn't sit comfortably with people. That's how you know that you've got a message when it brings conviction. 
It's, you know, that's how you know uh, when you're called to preach. When you say things that people begin to feel uncomfortable and you know that there is a conviction that rests on them. Every word that is preached must come with a conviction. Every salvation that must happen, there must be a regeneration. What does that mean? If you are truly saved, if you truly have an encounter with Jesus, you begin to change. Amen. You begin to, there's no science to it. There's just all of a sudden I feel I don't want to do the things that I used to do. I used to do this. I no longer do it anymore because something happened inside of me. I read gene, a regeneration, a regene, meaning that I, the, 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 I become different. I think differently. I begin to act differently. And then on the Tuesday, I decided, let me go to the beach early in the morning and uh, before the memorial service. And then guess what? I couldn't go to the beach because when they had the riots in July, they decided to throw toxins or poisons or a factory that generates poison or something burned down during the riots and they went into the rivers. And so the whole of the North Coast was filled with toxic waste so people couldn't swim. And even up to now, they can't swim in the North Coast. So I was like, I would drive all the way down to there, got sick, <laughs> and, and it's not COVID. COVID is the least of my worries in, in the last uh, two years. It's been the least of my issues. It's bronchitis. Uh, but every name has to bow to the name of Jesus. Come on. It doesn't matter what the name of the sickness or the disease is. It must bow to the name of Jesus. And so stuff happens. And I couldn't go to the beach to enjoy myself. So I was frustrated, Warren. Ruan, I couldn't get a tan. And he was so hoping that I'd come back looking a little bit more Mexican. And so, and so I... I uh, End up going to the, so I don't go to the beach. I don't even get to walk at the sand. Oh, and then so do the service on Tuesday. I leave there, minister a little bit to the family. And, uh, and then the Wednesday morning, I also Tuesday night, barely sleep. Also, the bed is uncomfortable. There's lights in my room. It's not UFOs visiting me. It's just, it's just the, the, the lights of the, you know, the, 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 the alarms and Wi-Fi and TV and stuff like that. And uh, the curtains don't close properly. Oh, it was a it was a chadunta. It was a chadunta. And so came back up and the situation got worse. But I knew it was the enemy because the enemy is trying to stop what God is trying to do. And that's that's what the devil does. So we're talking about spiritual warfare this morning, and hopefully I get to share something with you that will equip you a little bit better for your for your daily walk with God and for you to take the victory where you are. So in 2 Corinthians, we're going to start there, and then I'm going to jump over to Ephesians chapter number 6 uh, in a minute. <clears throat> but you must understand, when you engage in warfare, there's rules in warfare, okay? There's rules of engagement. There's rules in warfare. And one of the rules of warfare is you don't go and fight something that is not your equal. You don't fight something that is not a threat to you. I will remind you on Revelation chapter 12, where the, the dragon, Puff the magic dragon, that's, that's all Satan is. He's a little bit of a puff, puff head. And so he, he's up, in, up in there in Revelation 12, and he takes a third of the angels with him, and he begins to go to war with the two-thirds of the angel. I want to ask you a question for those who know the, the, what I'm talking about. Who was missing from that battle? Who was not at that war? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the devil is not his equal. The devil thinks that he is God's equal. The reason why Lucifer was thrown out of heaven was because he thought that he could be equal to God. Isaiah chapter number 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, for those who are making notes. He tries to act like God. 
In other words, the best show that the devil can do is something God has already done. He is only a mimicker. He is not a creator. He can only be in one place at one time. He is not omnipresent. In fact, the Bible says at the end, in that day, when, when judgment takes place, the devil will be brought forth in front of everybody, and the nations and the kings of the nations will look at him and say, is this the one that turned everything on its head? Is this the one that we feared? Is this the one that made all that noise? So you must understand that. You were not part of that war. Because the devil is not your equal. He is under you. He is not above you. He is below you. You get to stand on him all day. Why do we get sick? Because sin entered into the world. Because Adam went and ate disobediently from a tree that he shouldn't have eaten. And so the wages of sin is death. So death had come in. But God had made a way for us to have a regenerated body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for those who are making notes, that in, in that day, after you die, you'll get a new glorious body. So it doesn't matter what happens to this, this body at this state, but uh, you will get a new body. And so you must understand where the warfare takes place. You must understand the battlefield. It's not just to say, I'm going to go to war because uh, this is the problem with the church. This is my frustration with the church is that we, we sometimes are just, we, we, we are uh, reactive instead of proactive. We want to engage in warfare because now it touches our house. But not understanding that you were born into a war and that there is still a war happening every single day for the souls of people around you. That's the end game. Because the devil can't touch God. But the closest he can get to God is get to you. That's why he messes with you. Because you're created in the image and likeness of God. You lost the likeness in the garden. But we know what the Bible says. The Bible says that when we see him, 1 John chapter 2, that we will become like him. And those who are pure heart will see him. Those with a pure heart will see him. That's why when you worship big God and you see him, the reason why he reveals himself to you is to change your likeness. He doesn't reveal himself to you for the fun of it. He doesn't reveal himself to you because he's, he, he wants to do something cute. There is always intention with what God does. So you must understand the battlefield. I said to Warren that um, if I can't make it, <clears throat> he has to, uh, if I can't preach this morning, he has to take over. So, so I know Warren was praying with me last night and I always said, well, it's him and, and Shaul. And then Warren said, make Shaul preach. So if, if something happens, Shaul, you'll just take over there. All right. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter number 10, <clears throat> verse three. For though we walk, in the flesh, and I'm reading from a King James for a particular reason. <clears throat> for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. Strongholds. What's a stronghold? The word stronghold there is also a same word that we use for fort, fortress. <clears throat> in other words, when you think of a stronghold, Think of a fort. <coughs> I just coughed in my, my wife's face. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, pulling down fortresses. Where does the devil have a fort? Where does he build a fort? Think about that for a moment. 
Because you, when you're going into spiritual warfare, you must understand where the battlefield is. You must understand where does this battlefield take place. The problem with us sometimes is we only engage in warfare when it touches our home. We only engage in warfare when, when, <clears throat> when, when uh, it touches our kids, when it touches our jobs. Then we go, oh, the devil is against us. And then we don't know the will of God sometimes. So then we just think that everything is the devil. And that's the issue with the church, is that if you understood what the will of God was, you would know how to handle the situation that you're in, and you would understand the playing field or the battlefield that you're taking part of. So um, verse 5, casting down imaginations. Where does an imagination take place? Does it take place in a nightclub? No, unless your brain is a nightclub. It takes place in your soul. We as Christians believe that you are uh, a trichotony, uh, a triune being. In other words, as Christians, the popular belief around Christianity is that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. When you get saved, you get saved in your spirit man, you get saved in your soul man, and you get saved in your body. In other words, when you give your life over to Christ and you follow Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you and bears witness with your spirit that Christ is who He says He is, God is who He says He is, and His Word is what it says it is. In other words, there is a continuous working for conviction. And then there is a daily salvation, as the Pentecostal theologians believe, that takes place in your mind, and that's based on Romans 12, where we, as we continuously read the Word, we begin to change our behaviors, we begin to change our thinking, because the Spirit of God, the Spirit man, talks to the soul man. And the guy who, who, who preached on this quite a lot, a guy who's, who's been known for discerning between the Spirit man and the soul man, is a guy by the name of Watchman Nee. And you can get his book called The Spiritual Man where there is a discernment that takes place between what is in your spirit and what is in your soul. And then there is the salvation that happens to your body. And the salvation that happens to your body is what Corinthians 15 I mentioned earlier, where you will be given a glorious body. So now let's go back. Uh, verse 3, For we do not walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For in the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So there are two different kinds of places that you could do warfare. It's the internal place and the external place. In other words, this kind of warfare in 2 Corinthians 10 that takes place is that which happens in your mind. That's where the battlefield is. The battlefield is taking place in the way that you think. If you're continuously given over to stinking thinking, you will lose the fight. What does that mean? Jesus said it this way. He said, if a man looks with, an eye, with his eye to a lust with another woman, he has committed fornication with her. If you're married, that's a double whammy. You have not just fornicated with her, but you have also committed adultery. Matthew chapter 5. So what does that mean? It means that when you think, in other words, let me make it more practical. <clears throat> I get married. I get married to a little girl called Ilana. And, you know, she's all slippity-slam. She's fine. And everything's great for the first two weeks. We go over to Cyprus for our honeymoon. And then you see some more slippity-slam fine woman out there on the beach in Cyprus. Now I begin to desire that woman. What happens? I have committed adultery. Why? Because I have desired somebody that's not part of my 
covenant. Exodus chapter number 20. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's things. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wives. The word covet isn't covenant. You shall not desire what is outside your covenant. There's nothing wrong with you praying for a red Ferrari as long as it's part of your covenant. If you don't know your covenant, you won't know what God has for you. That's why if you understand the will of God and you understand how things work in the spirit, you begin to understand what God wants for you and you begin to pray those things and you will find that your prayers are always answered. <clears throat> the reason why we do not have answered prayers is because the book of James tells us that you ask and you ask amiss, adulterers and adulteresses. In other words, people who desire things that are not in their covenant, you are not going to have access to that which God has promised you as long as you are desiring things outside of your covenant because you're losing in the internal warfare. You're losing on that first battlefield. You're losing the fight in your mind because you've given your mind over to other things. Now, I know some of you are sitting there asking me, okay, Nicholas, that's my case because I've got that stinking thinking problem. Now I begin to ask God things and God's not answering me because the book of Peter says, treat your wives well, husbands, lest your prayers be hindered. In other words, if I don't think well of my wife, if I think this woman can do a better job cleaning this damn house, this woman can do a better job by, by taking care of my son, this woman can do a better job. And it works the other way, by the way, ladies. So if you're thinking about your husband or you're thinking about your, your man, understand, it works the same way. And then I begin to entertain other thoughts because that's how the devil came to Eve. And he said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, addressing a problem that what she was thinking about. And he begins to externally go into your mind and he begins to plant seeds and how you think. And you're losing the warfare because your minds are set on the wrong things. Can I get an amen? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but it's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So where's the stronghold? Where's the fort? Because in context, it's talking about what's happening in your mind. In context, it's, that's where you're losing the battle. You've got to be a certain level of fitness to take part in war. That's why when you go into the military, they put you through all sorts of training. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. You cannot take part in a war if, or a battle if you are not fit. In other words, you can't fight things if you are physically not fit, if you are mentally not fit, and if you are spiritually not fit. By praying in the spirit, you begin to edify, you begin to build up <clears throat> the spirit man. When you begin to take part in the word of God and you discipline your mind and you begin to discipline how you think and you're constantly taking in the word of God, you begin to discipline your soul because your mind begins to think the word. Because when I'm put under pressure, when I'm squeezed like a lemon, what comes out lemon juice, when I'm squeezed, squeezed as a Christian, what should come out? Christ and more Christ and more Christ. And that's why the devil, if he knew what he was doing when he crucified Jesus, would never have done it because he, had, he only had one son of God to deal with. And in, in, when the son of God was in his human form, he was not omnipresent, but he had to die to give us life. Amen. <clears throat> now the devil has to deal with all of us as the sons of God. He's not just dealing with one man now. He's dealing with a whole body all over the earth. That's some good news. That's some good news because there are more for you than there are those against you. There are more for you than those against you. 
And so how do you change the way that you think? Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, commit your works to God and your thoughts will be established. What does that mean? It means this, when I study, I committing it to God. So therefore God begins to take care of the way that I think. When I'm working at my workplace, I commit my job to God. I'm not working for man. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing for God. When I come out here on a Sunday, I'm doing everything for God. So when I'm raising my kids, I'm doing it for God. When I'm married to that wife or to that husband, I'm doing it for God. Every work is, is, every, uh, every work is committed to God, so therefore my thoughts are established. Romans 12, 2. <clears throat> the more I begin to take in the Word of God, I will not be conformed by this word, world, but I will, I, will be, I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind by the Word of God. And I allow God to come into my mind and I begin to change the way that I think. Your perception really places you in how you're going to win or lose this fight. Because if you think that God is not good, because that's what the devil tries to do when we go through difficult things, is he tries to plant the seed to say, I don't think God's good, Nicholas, because why would he allow you to go through three years, three and a half years of hell? Well, what the devil doesn't know was before the three and a half years of hell that I had to go through, what had happened with me was I was in the back of a church busy worshiping and God came to visit me and speak to me. And then the Lord said to me, Nicholas, do you believe that I am a good God? And at the time, I didn't understand. At the time, I just said, of course. Yes, Lord, you're a good God. <laughs> now, I don't know. <laughs> Now I go through hell and you go like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is God still for me? Is God still with me? And that's how the devil, what the devil does. He tries to plant those seeds. Why? Because the goodness of God leads men to repentance. That's why when you don't think God is good anymore, you say things like, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why are thou so far away from me? Psalm 22. You come to a place like Jesus on the cross where he says, my father, my father. Where are they? Have you left me? Because if the devil could get you to think and change your perception of who God is, that he's not trustworthy, that he's not good, then you don't have the ability to repent. What does the repent mean? Repent in its primary form means to change the way you think. I take on the full armor of God. What is the full armor of God? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Through, for the pulling down of strongholds, what's the weapons of our warfare? How do you fight God? We played the song in the beginning when we started worshiping, this is how I fight my battles. And what, what's annoying about that song is that he doesn't tell you how we fight our battles. We're just standing there going, this is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. Because when I take on the garment of praise, the spirit of weariness falls off. That's part of your warfare. That's part of your armor. When I begin to put on Christ, <clears throat> I, I begin to put him on and I begin to understand just like Jacob did when he put on Esau that he gets the firstborn blessing. Come on. That means that the firstborn blessing is double than what a father has. It's a double portion. Because when I put on Christ and God feels me, he says, you feel just like my son. And I bless you as the firstborn. Because if I'm in Christ Jesus, I cannot be anywhere else. <clears throat> so even when I'm suffering, I'm in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I am healed because I am in Jesus. And even if I die, it doesn't matter because he was raised from the dead. Therefore, I will be raised from the dead because he stood up. That's why the book of Acts says with so much infallible proof. That's why he stood up and he had 500 people witnessing and seeing him as, as proof that he stood up. And because he stood up, you'll stand up. So it doesn't matter if cancer wins today because the cancer has lost its sting, because death has lost its sting, because I'll be raised up from the dead. And every time I suffer, the question is, why do we suffer? The true answer is we don't really have answers to all these questions. The why belongs to God. We suffer so that we may reign with him, as the Bible says. Think about every time you've suffered. Think about every time you've gone through a hard time. The wheel goes flat. We say, thank you, Jesus. You can either bind the devil or you can say, thank you, God, because God will make every bad thing turn around for your good. Everything you're going through, that girl left you, let her walk. That boy left you, let him go. They left you and you were all alone. Bye-bye, because God's got something better for me. If I'm going to constantly hold on to the things of yesterday, I'm going to be pulled down. The reason why some of us can't move forward is because we're holding on to the things that happened yesterday. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Pull down every, every stronghold, every fortress that has been built up in your mind. That's where the battle's taking place. That's the internal battle place. That's the internal battlefield. It's, that's what's taking place in your mind. How do you think about God? Can I turn around and say, God's still good. But Nicholas, you got bronchitis. Jesus is still good. Nicholas, you popped a ligament and you got inflammation on the foot. God's still good. You had to go through two knee surgeries. God's still good. You threw your back out. God's still good. You, 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 you lost some friends along the way. God's still good. You struggle with anxiety. God's still good. You struggle with depression. God's still good. You lost your job. God's still good. If you continuously think about God's still good, there is a, a repentance that takes place because God begins to take you and change your mind and then he puts you on a higher place you begin to look back and you say that's why all those things had to happen because I couldn't carry them climbing this high mountain where God has placed me on come on somebody casting down imaginations you know the Bible says something interesting it says that uh, for a you to be a bishop or you to be a deacon you've got to get your house in order there has to be a house in order because if your house is not order, in order, how can you have the house of God in order? A house divided against itself cannot stand. And that's the issue when you're dealing with, with principalities, powers, rulers, wicked hosts and heavenlies. That's the issue. They come against you regimented. They come against you in order. They don't have disorder. But you, dear Christian, hallelujah. <laughs> Your house is chaotic. Your church is chaotic. <laughs> we have divisions amongst ourselves. People who speak the same language can't sit at the same table. There's a, there's a, there's a saying in Afrikaans. I'm just going to translate it because I can't 
my Afrikaans is not that great. But uh, it, say, when it says, you don't want to see the sun rise over your, your neighbor. You don't want to see the sun rise over, over your brother. Because we get so jealous for what you have. And I, I covet what you have. And I desire what's not in my covenant. And I begin to lose the warfare. My friend, my brother, my sister, I'm telling you this morning, that if you, the rule of engagement when you're trying to win that warfare is get your mind right. Get your head right. Any athlete that partakes in any race, if you've watched athletes with the Olympics, if you watch professional sportsmen, they take a, 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 a particular amount of time. They take a particular amount of time when, before they actually take part in, in, in the race, before they take part in what they're doing. And they actually think about it. They actually go through the whole race. They go through the whole thing. And they think about it, and they think about it, and they think about it. And then what happens is the body begins to follow because there's a discipline that takes place. Do you think about the warfare that you're taking part of? Do you think about the way that you view God? Do you think about what the will of God is before you pray for something? Do you think about the will of God is before you set your mind on something, before you think about it? Does God want you to have great things? Of course he does. Does God want you to be promoted? Of course he wants you to be promoted. God wants you to be blessed. Amen. God wants you to be healthy. Amen. What happened with me in the last three and a half years, in the January of this year, <clears throat> the Lord revealed it to me, where he had allowed a devil to touch me. Why does he allow a devil to touch you? There's many reasons for that. But one of the main, 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 main reason is that he allows the devil to touch you so that you may be promoted because you are tested. Deuteronomy chapter number eight. God tests you on what's in your heart. He tests you how you're going to handle this job. Some of you got jobs and you walked away from God. Some of you went into relationships and you, and you neglected God. And God wants to know, are you, am I still first in your life? God does not do anything for nothing. There is a reason why God wants you to do what he wants you to do. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, knowledge of God. This is a battlefield in your mind. You're fighting something in your head. Knowledge is great. Knowledge is power. The Bible says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And a lot of times when I'm counseling ministers, or when I'm counseling Christians, they perish because they don't have a lack of knowledge. They have a lack of knowledge. They don't understand the situation that they're in. They don't see what they're in. <clears throat> Gain knowledge is great. You could go to the theological seminary and get knowledge. You can go to a Bible college and get knowledge. You can go to university and get knowledge. It's great. It's wonderful. But a lot of times the problem with knowledge is that it puffs up. As the Bible says, love exhorts and edifies, but knowledge puffs up. And a lot of times we lash out based on knowledge. The Bible says the sword of the Spirit, and we're going to go to Ephesians 6 <clears throat> if you've got your Bibles with you, but it says there that the sword of the Spirit is your word. It doesn't mean that this now becomes ex Excalibur. It doesn't mean that you take your Bible and you go, come on, come on just slice people with the word. Because as you guys would know, we spoke about <clears throat> in calling a purpose, there's a difference between word. There's Logos and there's Rhema. Logos is doctrinal word. Rhema is inspired word, illuminated word. 
when you have logos, that's doctrinal word. That's when you lash out like Peter because he was around the moment of pressure, took his sword out and cut the man's ear off. That's what religion does. That's what logos does. Rhema is inspired word, illuminated word. It means that when I'm in that situation, I begin to speak the promises of God. I begin to speak the word of God. I begin to declare the prophetic word that God has over my life. I know that my time is not yet done. I know that there is still work to be done. So it doesn't matter that I'm about to climb onto this boat and become shipwrecked, Paul, because Paul knew I still have to be presented before Caesar because that's the prophetic word that I had received. That's the illuminated word that I had received. So even in the shipwreck, he doesn't complain. I have learned to be content in all things as we spoke last week because he realizes that there is still a purpose for my life. I still have to go somewhere. So it doesn't matter how many times I get pneumonia. It doesn't matter how many times I get bronchitis. It doesn't matter if there's issues with my stomach or my knee or my ankle or my back or my head. I still have a purpose here. I still have time here. And when I go, I'll go on my time. No devil's going to cut my life short. I'll go when I want to go. And I'm going to hang around just to make the devil mad. Because I know where I'm going, baby. I know where I'm going. Don't just give in. When you get sick, when things go hard, don't give in. Rely on the promises of God. Every time you're reminded of some sickness or some disease, you just say, thank you, Jesus. I still have something to do. It's not yet my time. Touch somebody and say, it's not yet my time. You will make it. Ah, sabato sukandara. Yes, it's not your time. It's not your time. There is still things for you to do. Henry, there is still things for you to declare over your family. There's still things for you to declare as the grandfather. There's still things for you to declare as the as the patriarch of your house. It's not your time. <clears throat> You're gonna be around for a while. It's not your time. Get your house in order. Come on, tell somebody around you, get, say, get your house in order. You cannot win any kind of warfare unless your house is in order. That's why when your wife, when your wife gets out of order, <laughs> I can say that because she just disappeared, when she gets out of order and she's messing with things and we're not together in unity, we don't have the same power. When you're struggling in your physical body, I've noticed something this. This is something I've noticed over the years. I don't have access to the same amount of power in the spirit as what I did when I'm healthy. In other words, in a moment like this, I struggle to minister in the spirit. I struggle to minister to people because I don't have the power. And the devil knows that. That's why it drives a mess with your mind. That's why it drives a mess with your body. Some of you, there is so much more waiting for you in the season that you're in. But the devil is messing so much with your mind that you're not able to get the victory because that's where the devil is fighting you. That's why you're going to pull that fortress down. You're going to pull it down. Come on, say, say pull it down. I'm going to pull it down. I'm not going to think the way that I thought yesterday. I'm going to get, I'm going to overcome. I'm not going to think the way that I thought yesterday. I'm going to love my wife because the devil knows if I can't get to you, Nicholas, if I can't get you to stop, if I can't get you to doubt God, I'm going to try and get you to get sick. And if I can't get you to sick, you won't be able to minister. And then if that doesn't work, I'm going to mess with your wife. And then there's going to be division in the house. And if there's division in the house, you can't run God's house. You can't oversee God's house. You can't minister in the spirit. One will set a thousand to flight. Two will set 10,000 to flight. That's why it's important for you 
and your wife to be on the same field, playing field, and to be on the same page. That's why both of you have got to have the same purpose. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. It doesn't just mean don't get married to some Muslim. Don't just get married to some Hindu. And what it means is don't just get married to some poster person because they're in the same church. Get married to somebody that, that has the same conviction as you. Get married to somebody that's got the same conviction as you. Because we could go to the same church and not worship the same way. Because your worship is restricted to Sunday. My worship is 24-7. You've asked me, when do you go to church? All the time. When do you go to church? Because I am the church. Where I go is the church. I don't have other interests and hobbies except Jesus. We could talk a little bit of rugby. We could talk a little bit about the cars. We could talk a little bit about stuff. But ultimately, my focus is God. Church is Monday to Sunday. <clears throat> That's why the Bible says don't judge anybody about the way that they handle Sabbath, Colossians chapter 2. That's what happens when you're saved, you're regenerated. I can fish and talk about Jesus. There's some good things out there. That's why it's important for you when you get married, don't be unequally yoked. That's why it's important for you that when you go into business with people, don't be unequally yoked. We have the same purpose. We have the same goal. We want to achieve the same things. The, king, the reason why I got married wasn't because I desired somebody. The reason why I got married is because I was called to marriage. And my marriage serves a higher purpose than me. In other words, my marriage is not here to serve me. I am here to serve my marriage. That's powerful. I'm going to say amen to myself. Six, Ephesians chapter number 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's an old English word, stratagems. It means a plan or a scheme, especially one used to outwit an opponent or achieve an end. We're now talking about external fights. Internal fights is what happens in your mind. External fights is what happens here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is very interesting. The word for principalities is arkas. Where we get the word arch, archangel, it means, it means somebody that's higher. A principality in the English word is an old word we don't use anymore. But I think if you look at Luxembourg, you find that it's the principality of Luxembourg. It talks about a region. It talks about an area. Principalities hover over regions. See, they are not just spirits that are assigned to a house. They are spirits that are assigned to an, a region. How do we empower spirits in a region? So this is our, where it gets a little bit deeper. And this is where we get a little bit good. This is where we begin to understand an external fight. The internal fight is what takes place inside of you. If the devil can't get you to doubt God, he'll get you to doubt yourself. If he can't get you to doubt yourself, he will send resistance through other people all the time. Remember that the devil is strategic. Remember that the devil is a pretender. So he tries to pretend to be like God. What is, what is the nature of God? God is a, a mystical being. God is mysterious. <clears throat> God likes to hide himself. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it's God's glory to hide himself. It's a king's glory to find him. It's a king's glory to find out who he is. In other words, you're a king in Christ Jesus. So therefore, it is, it is a glory for you to find him. 
It's his glory to hide. You'll notice that in the book of Genesis, in the garden, you find that God is not there with Adam and Eve when they fell. Why? Because he went for a walk. He went for a walk about. He's God. Why did he go for a walk? I don't know. Why do you like to go for a walk? You're created in his image and his likeness. There's something about God that likes to move. God doesn't like to stand still. God doesn't like stagnation. The wa- in fact, water, when it stagnates, it goes off. There's something about a flow that God enjoys. There's something about the flow that God likes. There's something about rivers. In fact, the happiest people on the earth are people who live in Iceland because they have the most waterfalls and they live next to waterfalls and there's something that happens to your mind when you're living next to running water there's something about peace behind still waters there's something about how god created seasons and the fact that as long as there's seasons the planet is not going to be destroyed this time might come to an end this age might come to the end but the earth itself will never come to an end until god gives us a new place to stay so there's something about a flow that god creates he likes to walk around and what's the the devil's uh, what is his what is his best act? Something God's already done. So if you understand that, and part of warfare is understanding how the enemy gets to you and how he messes with you and why he messes with you. And if you understand that, you begin to see how the devil comes against you. You begin to understand why the devil comes against you and how he comes against you. I'm pointing all of these things out for you so that you may know. How is it the fact that the devil gets you into pornography? How did the devil get you into drugs? How did the devil get you into prostitution? How did the devil get you to give yourself up so early? If you understand that and you know how the devil got to you, you'll know how he gets to your children because he doesn't take a different route. He comes the same way, agent. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age. In Christian theology, uh, we, we believe primarily in three archangels in the sense that that's what the Bible is not necessarily clear on angels. It's not very expansive when it comes to explaining angelic beings and presence and names and all those things. There are other books that explain things like that, like the book of Enoch. Uh, there's, there's also philosophers that have written over time. Momadis is one of those famous ones where he gives you explanation about uh, angelic presence and their ranking and what they do. We know of the seraphim, the six-winged angels that surround God in the book of Isaiah where they cry holy 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 is the lord two two wings to cover their feet two wings to cover their face and then two wings to keep themselves up in the air and the reason why they do that and and one of the the writings is that those those angels are designed in such a way that they can't say anything else except holy they can't say anything else except god's holy and uh, one of the preachers uh, who had a heavenly experience, said this about that. He said that when he was up there and he couldn't look up to the throne, but he asked, he looked sideways and he saw an angel next to him on his face and he said to, to him, why do you guys call holy, holy, holy? And they said, every time they come around God, they see a new side of him. That's the bigness of God. That every single time they see a new side of him, they say, holy. Holy means not to be like you. Holy means to be cut away. It means that there's this 
constant revealing of who God is. So in, in theology, we believe predominantly in three archangels. One, Michael, who is the prince of Israel, and that's his job, is to take care of the region of Israel. He takes care of the children of Israel. Then you have Gabriel, who is the messenger. He is the one who brings the word. And then you had Lucifer, whose responsibility was to cover the glory of God. In fact, if you go study Lucifer's functionality, was one who was responsible for worship, but one who actually covered where God walked. So wherever God walked, it turned into fire. It turned into fire. And so therefore, whatever Lucifer was behind him was to cover his glory. And then Lucifer coveted the glory that was on God for himself. So that's what those were the functions. So when we talk about principalities, we talk about arcos, we talk about arc, you think you take top leadership, you think someone that is over a region. And how this works, which is also very interesting, is things take place in the natural to empower a principality. So in for Christians, how it works is we are given a regenerative spirit, the Holy Spirit who empowers our body. How angels, how demonic presence work is they require power being given to them and they require a body. In other words, we have the mind of Christ and we plugged into the body of God, right? So therefore, we, we, whatever God wants to do, he does it through his body. He enables us and we don't have to submit under any forms of man of leadership. We submit under one man, Christ Jesus, and we're plugged into his mind and we have his thoughts. <clears throat> and when you have that, you are empowered by God. But how it works in the demonic or how it works in the occult is that they have to do things in the natural to invoke a spiritual. How, how do you say this? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is written where Paul says, at first came the natural Adam, then came the spiritual Adam. First came natural Adam, then came Christ. So how does it work for us in the spiritual realm? There are things that take place in the natural. They throw their chicken licking bones, witchcraft. They do something in the natural that invokes the spiritual. Why is that important to understand? Because the principality over South Africa, the principality over Gauteng, the principality over, over your city, your town, has a particular function and is constantly tempting you to partake of its duties and activities. And when you do that, you empower that principality and you give it more reign and you give it more power to do its thing. In other words, if you're going, to, if the principality over South Africa is we've got racism, how many times have you been tempted to blame somebody's race for anything that's gone wrong? And every time you succumb to it, you're empowering that principality's rule and his reign and his dominion over this country. How many times have you empowered through violence we, we, we see the riots that take place. One of the things, the principalities over South Africa is violent crime. How many times do you have visions or thoughts of what you're going to do if someone breaks into your house? How many times do you think about what you will do when you see injustice take place? And when you succumb to it, you shouldn't be surprised because all you're doing is empowering that principality. You following? Powers, it's a Greek word, excusius. It's not dynamo, dynamos. Dynamos is where we have dynamite power. This word, excusius, uh, excuse my pronunciation, but it basically means influential power. Rulers is also an interesting word because it's made up of two, cosmo, 
Kratos. Cosmos, where we get cosmos. Kratos is where we get authority from. In other words, rulers of darkness really means this. Someone who rules in the cosmic realm. Someone who rules in the cosmic realm. Think about that. Think aliens. Think Genesis 6. When the sons of God, referring to angels, saw the daughters of men and saw that they were beautiful, then came into them and then giants were born. Think about it. What are you fighting against? What are you fighting against? Then we've got spiritual hosts of wickedness and in the heavenly places. So let me move on for the sake of time. Therefore, take up the whole armor, verse 13, Ephesians 6, of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you were able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication for all saints. Uh, and then verse 19, my favorite, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Okay. Go to Luke 10. I just want to hurry up for the sake of time. Luke chapter number 10. Verse 17. I want to show you this based on the principle that I shared with you earlier, that if you do something in the natural, you're empowering the principality that is over the region. But if you do something in the spiritual realm, you're also taking away power from the principality. Luke 10 verse 17, Then the 70 returned with joy. These are the 70 that Jesus sent out. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to me, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The word, the Greek word Satan there doesn't necessarily refer to the Satan. It refers to Satan, adversary. It means that I saw principality fall from light, 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 like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Watch this. How did the principality fall? How did Satan fall? They were casting out. What, 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 what were the disciples casting out? Spirits in people. They were taking the ground back. In other words, they were taking back the ground where people were under the influencing power of the demonic. And therefore, Satan himself was losing power. The principality over the air was losing power. What is, why is that so important for you to understand? That you as a Christian have the influencing power to take away the principalities if your behavior comes in line with the word of God. That if you guys act, if you check yourselves and you begin to act properly and you begin to act like Christians where you are, you begin to take away the power that fuels that principality, that Satan. That if I begin to do the ground warfare, principalities begin to lose their strongholds that they have in people. That if we begin to act differently, we get to change the minds of people 
the strongholds that they have in their minds, they begin to change their behavior when you begin to act differently because it's the goodness of God that will be seen through who? The church. And that will begin to take away influencing powers. It'll take away influencing ways of, of the demonic. How do these spirits work? Spirits rely on vehicles. What's the vehicle? Your body. The thing that a spirit relies on is your body because you have your own spirit. The word possession is actually not correct, technically correct, because the word possession in English refers to I, can't, I own you. And nobody owns you. Only God owns you if you have given your life over to God and understanding the price that was given, but that was paid for your life, right? That's why the, the New Testament saints write a bondservant. James, a bondservant of God. Paul, a slave to Christ because he understands the value of him that is found in God, right? So <clears throat> the word there, uh, possession, correctly should be demonized because a person still has free will to get out of what the devil has pulled them into. And when your behavior begins to change, you begin to take ground back for spiritual warfare. So understanding the battle that you're on and the battlefield that you're facing, when your father acts silly, when your mom acts silly, when your wife or your husband acts silly, when your children act silly, it's they've been tempted, they've been lured in by the devil to invoke something in you. And you can either give in to it and say, oh, <clears throat> F off, man. Or you can actually turn around and go, hang on. I've seen this movie before. This is the devil trying to mess with me. And I'm not going to respond in a way that pleases the devil. I'm going to respond in a way that Christ has called me to. In other words, I'm not going to succumb to how I feel or how the devil wants me to feel. I'm going to see and respond to this person in the light of which God has created this person to be. And so you begin to win the person over. So you begin to act blameless. So all of a sudden people don't have a charge against you anymore because people begin to say, hang on, I'm mad at Nicholas, but I respect Nicholas too much to talk to him that way. I'm not going to respond to him in such a way. And this has happened to me where people, family members, have wanted to come against me and they couldn't come against me. They'd rather argue with someone else in the family than argue with me because they respect me too much to do it. And so therefore what happens is I begin to win them over and anything I say in their presence, they take to the bank because I've, I've won it. I've won their affection. I've won their thoughts. I've won their hearts. And now the field is ready for the seeds for me to sow, for them to bring them out of the situation that they're in and put them in a better situation. Now I'll take ground back for the kingdom of God. The vision of the community is to build, expand the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God inside of you, the kingdom of God around you. If the kingdom of God inside of you is acting properly, the kingdom of God around you begins to act properly. In other words, there's manifestation. We get to see it. And how does the devil come against you? You must understand he is strategic. He is not omnipresent. He has limited resources. And the devil will come against you to try and stop you because you have something inside of you. You are birthed with promise. You are birthed with destiny. You, God has given you something. And the devil wants to stop that. So he's going to try everything in his limited resources that he has to stop you. But here's the great news. 
You have such greater resources that you can go back onto. You have such great people around you. You have the church around you. You have God around you. You have angelic beings around you. You have people that love you and that are for you, that are not against you. You are not alone in this fight. So what is the plan of the devil of, the South, of South Africa? Let's take a look how South Africa is attacked. South Africa is one of the few countries in the world where we can truly be self-sustaining. South Africa is one of the few countries in the world where you have 11 official languages representing 11 different cultures of the amount of diversity that we have in our nation. South Africa is also unique in the sense that you have the Boer nation that have a covenant with God. So the Boers are not going anywhere. You have Zulu people that have a covenant with God. So the Zulus are not going anywhere. You have the Khorsas that have a covenant with God. So they're not going anywhere. You have the Indumbele that have a covenant with God. So they're not going anywhere. So now we have this, this unique situation where we are called to be the fire and the light of Africa. We are called to be the integrity of Africa. We are called as a nation to be revivalists for the rest of the world. So where do you think the enemy is going to try and attack us? Where do you think the devil is trying to get us? They're trying to corrupt us. They're trying to bring corruption in our government. They're trying to, they're trying to bring more the division and segregation in their laws and their policies. It's not a surprise. The parliament doesn't sit around and say, well, let's, what does is, what is Ephesians chapter number 2 say? What does 1 Corinthians 3 say? They don't, they don't sit around talking about that stuff. So where the devil is attacking us is the great place and a great understanding for where God has called us. And so we can take it back by influencing your neighbor. You can take it back by influencing the area that you're in. When those riots were taking place, was there any issues really in the West Strand? No. Why? Because you took authority. Because we won the warfare. We saw it coming in the spirit. Before I got the news, my spirit was already disturbed. I was watching series. I wasn't even watching a Christian series. <laughs> I'm repenting now. I wasn't even watching a Christian series. And the Spirit of God said to me, there's something happening. And I still said to my wife, it's not safe. There's something happening. And we called an emergency prayer meeting and we addressed the thing. There was chaos everywhere. It wasn't chaos here. What about your house? What's God called your house for? What has God called your house for? As long as there's a Bruton in, in South Africa, there will be a Bruton who serves the Lord. Why does God want me to have children? He doesn't want to have children so that it may please me. He wants to have children so that there may be a seed of righteousness in the land. Because as long as there's righteousness in the land, God won't destroy the land. If I could find 10 righteous people in Sodom, I could find 10 righteous people in South Africa. God won't destroy it. What is the strategy of the enemy against your family? In Krugersdorp, this is something interesting about Krugersdorp's history. Every civil war that South Africa has ever taken place on, Krugersdorp has been involved. Interesting. That's why when you go to the West Strand, you, 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 you don't need to look for a fight. A fight will find you. You, know, you, go, you go to a fight and hope a party breaks out. That's, that's what happens in the West Strand. What about, what, what about Pretoria? What about Bloemfontein? What about Cape Town? What's that region called for? You've got this liberal movement in Cape Town. What does your Bible say about liberty? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Not where a liberal-minded person is, because that liberty is not liberty. 
That's not true liberty. That's socialism. Think about it. Think logically, guys. Think with me. What does God say about your family? And how is the devil trying to take your family out? What are you called for? That's the word that you engage in spiritual warfare with. The word that God gave you that is rhema is the sword of the spirit that you've got to fight with. What does God say about your destiny? That's the word that you, it's your sword that you've been equipped with. That's why it's important for you to get into prayer. That's why it's important for you to get around people who hear from God because they can confirm, they can affirm. They can say to you, don't listen to what anybody else is saying. Don't listen about that doubt that the devil is bringing. Listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. It doesn't matter if they think you're crazy. It doesn't matter if they think that you're mad. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if, you're, if you've got a thousand people around you. Don't trust in the arm of flesh. Trust in God. Trust in the word that God has given you. And when your husband or your wife acts out, that's just the devil manifesting in your family, trying to bring the vision. Why? Because he sees you as a threat. The reason why I came, became sick in the last 12 years, 15 years, and the reason why I go through struggle after struggle after struggle, it doesn't make sense to me because of certain things. But it's because the devil saw me as a threat. The one day I was praying, and I'm going to close off with this story. One day I was praying and I felt my arm like my hand was fitting into a glove. And I became aware, I became aware that I'm being dressed for battle. And a woman came to my house when I was still living with my mom. She's a distant relative. She doesn't come often. She just came because the Spirit of God told her to come. And as I sat down in front of her, she said, oh, now I know why I had to come. So I see, she said to me, Nicholas, I see you dressed. In the full armor of God. I see you dressed in battle. I see you dressed in battle. And then all of a sudden, the enemy started coming against us. And all of a sudden, the devil started coming against me. All of a sudden, I started wrestling with things. And I, I had to wrestle off one thing after another thing. And the more I came to Jesus, the more, the more, <clears throat> just wait before you do that, the more I came to Jesus, the more I began to have a resistance. And God kept taking me through one battle, through another battle. And I'm reminded, <clears throat> I'm reminded of Joshua and Caleb when they went down to the, mount, to, to the promised land and they report back to Moses. They said this, they said that God has made the giants like bread before us. They're not even a main course. They're not even a full starter. They're just the thing that you get on the side of the meal. They're not even the main thing. And God allowed me to go through one attack after another attack. He said, Nicholas, this is practice. As Joshua and Caleb saw giants as practice. So you look at your enemy and you see them as practice. Because God will not allow you to be destroyed before your time unless what you have been assigned to do is done. Don't be like one of those Christians that don't know what they're called to, that don't know what their plan and purpose is for their life, that they land up in hospital with COVID or with cancer or with all kinds of other sicknesses and disease and ask God, why, 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 why? I know why the enemy came against me. I also know why God allowed the devil to touch me. He allowed to touch me, to test me, to know what's in my heart. But here's the great thing about being tested. Whenever you go through a test, my brother and my sister, there is a passing that comes after the testing. 
there is a new level that God has called you to. There is something that God has called you to for more. And the devil knows that. And here's the interesting thing. The devil himself is still part of the will of God because God still uses the devil like a pit bull on a chain. And when God has got you into the place that he wants you, he sees the workouts done, what it needs to do. He says to the pit bull, sit. And the devil says, yes, sir. And he sits. The devil is such a small thing. To deal with spirits is easy. To deal with people is something completely different. And we've got to watch ourselves in this hour and this time because we have Christians that are involved with witchcraft. You have witchcraft and sorcery, which is the same Greek word, pharmakuta. And then you have divination, which is pythos. Pythos is where we get, where we, why we name snakes pythons, rock pythons, the African rock python. It, it, it kills your, the prey, but it leaves the structure. In other words, a lot of times in the religious church, you have a python spirit that came. It's, it, it took out the life of the church, but the church still stayed behind. That's a divination spirit. Then you have witchcraft, pharmakuta, where people take herbs and stuff and they throw it together and they, they begin to do activity with it. Those are the two main real sources of where you're being penetrated from. But witchcraft still has to happen through a person. And we have Christians, and in this time, I'm afraid to say, that we have Christians that are operating in witchcraft. We have church leaders that are operating in witchcraft or trying to use witchcraft to build their kingdom and not God's kingdom. To deal with the witchcraft is easy. To deal with the spirits is easy. But as long as that person keeps coming up against you, empowered by the witchcraft, empowered by the divination spirit, there is a hindrance that takes place in your life. To win that person is spiritual warfare because you begin to take away the influencing power of the devil. What I said was very important now. That's why evangelism is so important, but the right kind of evangelism, not someone that's going to bring you into a, CC, a ZCC church where you're still going to worship trees. We don't worship trees. We worship God. We don't worship creation. We worship the creator. And that's the difficult part. And if your life is in order, my friend, if your life is in place, your spiritual warfare becomes far more powerful and far more effective because you're able to win people over. You're able to win people over. And I want to encourage you, as you guys deal with your campuses, those, those who are in campuses, those who have sat around, and even those who are by themselves, I want you to t think about this sermon afterwards, and I want you to go and ask God some questions about how you are conducting spiritual warfare, and then also getting some spiritual insights to the battlefield. And I'm going to close off with this one thing. If you really want to know how far somebody is or how authoritative they are in, in, the, in the, the kingdom of God, it, it comes down to how much intelligence they have concerning God's plan. Not intelligence in the sense of mind, but intelligence in the sense of knowing what God's plan is. That's how you know how authoritative a person is in the kingdom of God. It's because they have intelligence. They have orders. They understand the, the, the game plan. They understand the strategies of God. Not because they've got big churches. Not because they tell you that they're authoritative. Not because their spirits can come and visit you and then they say they're prophets. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they can actually sit back and tell you 
We know what God is planning to do because God has entrusted us with a battle plan. You'll notice how high or how authoritative somebody is by the amount of the battle plan that they have. I want you all to please stand up where you are as we close off. And we're going to do something now. We're going to close off, but I want all of you to open up your hearts. I want all of you to open up your minds. And I want you to ask God right now, Father, where do you want me to be a part of? What battle do you want me to be a part of? Because we're born into war. And Father, we thank you that we take the ground back. Because the book of Joshua should be read with the book of Ephesians. The book of Joshua is about entering into the promised land physically. The book of Ephesians is entering the promised land spiritually. And Father, I pray right now for every person that is online or under my voice that they would begin to hear. They begin to hear, Father, what you are saying to them about the battle that they're in. The cancer is not going to take you. The sickness and the disease is not going to have you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to every person the battle plan that you have. Father God, for this area or the area that they live in, because where they live, they live not because it pleases them. They live there because it's part of the will of God for them to be there. We will take Pretoria for the kingdom of God. We will take the West Rand for the kingdom of God. We will take Cape Town for the kingdom of God. We will have the Free State for the kingdom of God. We will have KwaZulu-Natal for the kingdom of God. We will have the Northwest for the kingdom of God. We will have Mbumalanga for the kingdom of God. We will have Limpopo for the kingdom of God. We will have these areas for the kingdom of God. And we will win souls. Father God, we will convince men. Father, even as Paul spent three years in a university convincing men as he went from synagogue to synagogue, convincing them, bending the will of man so that they may come to the will of God. I pray, Father Lord Jesus, that the same anointing, the same portion come upon every man and every woman listening to me, that Father, that they would not give up they would not give up on any conversation. They would not give up on any person, but they would persevere to win souls, Father, for the kingdom of God. That we would win, Father God, people over. There are witch doctors who believe Christians, who they, they believe they are Christians. They believe that they read the Bible, that they, they are traditional healers. And they're still being using their witchcraft. They're still using farmakuta. They're still using divination. For, to, to perform works and these things ought not be so. I pray, Father God, that you would bring apostolic anointing into the church so that we may have order in the church of God. I pray, Father God, Lord Jesus, for, for the true doctrine to be taught in every church in our nation. Father, I pray that every person be upskilled in knowledge because, Father God, the more we know you, the more we see you, the more we'll worship you. But, Father Lord Jesus, let us not just be in knowledge, but let us be in love also. Because love believes all things. Love conquers all things. Love overcomes all things. Father, Lord Jesus, I pray, Father God, that you would minister and that you would speak to every person this morning. And Father, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal to them the battle plan. Just ask God right now. Say, Father, what is the battle plan that you have for me? Where do you want me to partake in spiritual warfare? Where is it that you want me to partake in? What do you want me to partake in? Who do you want me to go to, Father? Who do you send me? Speak for your servant listens this morning in the name of Jesus.
I pray, Father God, Lord, right now, against any work of the enemy that tries to stop us in any way. Father, these are not stumbling blocks, but they are blocks for us to stand on. Father, give us the grace to stand on any stumbling block the devil throws in front of us. Father, I pray right now this morning that you would equip us. Father, that we would be equipped in the Spirit to deal with spiritual things. Because I'm going to say this to you, and you are who are listening to me, for this is relevant for, for some of you. The, the turbulence that you have experienced is the enemy trying to distract you from what God really wants in that situation. There is a spirit that has been sent against you to get you off course. There is a spirit that has been sent against you to doubt your God. There is a spirit that has been sent against you for turbulence at workplace and relationships. There's turbulence in your relationships because, God, because the enemy is trying to get you distracted from what God really wants to do. Or what God really wants to do. Don't look to what you want. Look to what God wants through you. Father, we say, here's our life. We give it over to you. Do with it what you want. Do with it what you want. Don't be distracted by the things that you must do but rather stick with what the will of God is for your life. There is still time for you. There is still time for you. That's why the cancer didn't take you. There is still time for you. That's why COVID didn't get you. There is still time for you because there is still a plan for you. There is purpose for you. You are not alone. I see you even writing, uh, you in writing in your journal. I'm not going to say your name, but you're writing your journal and you're praying every night. And you're writing to God every night. God is saying to you, turn back the page. Because see how I will answer the things that you have requested in your journal. Turn back the page. Because I'm about to bring these things to pass. And keep believing that I'm for you and that I'm with you. Because I never left you. Some of you are asking, am I in the will of God? The answer to that question is yes, you've never been out of the will of God. You are where I want you to be but I want you to come up higher. I'm setting my spirit for you, for you to know more, for you to come up higher, for you to be illuminated. Now is the season for families to be touched. Now is the season to hit the streets. Now is the season to reach out to the lost. For the spirit of the Lord will place people on your heart, even this week. Some of you already have names who you need to reach out. Coming to church is not listening to a preacher only, but it's about coming together as a body. And every single person that is listening to me, you are a preacher, you have a gospel, you have a message, you have a testimony. Open up your mouth and speak, for God will empower you in this season to speak, and you will win souls for the Lord. For the field is ripe. Father, send the laborers in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you so much for joining us.